I want to start by showing you this book. The presentation that I'm making today is actually the uh, second chapter of this book. And I want to read this little letter I got from a prisoner down at Lexington. As I pass these books out down there in the AR section, and uh, I passed out over a thousand of these books down there. And this is one of the responses I got. Dr. Steve Kern, I just want to thank you for all the hard work you have put in on the book, No Other Gods. I'm 55 years old, and all my life, I've had doubts about the creation. In one week, your book has laid them all to rest. For once in my life, I completely believe. I also believe I was meant to be here for just this reason, to read this book. I'll be getting out soon and looking forward to visiting your church. Thank you and God bless. That's not the only one I've gotten. I've gotten many of these from different prisoners. And uh, when we go on Mondays, every Monday we go down there. And I'll, I'll have different uh, prisoners that are in their cells. Some of them are reading this book. And, and some have said, oh, man, I've read that thing three times. So the reason why I'm sharing that with you is because did you hear what he said all his life? He grew up in church, and he had questions. And he'd go to school like many of us did, and we learned one thing in school, evolution and monkey to man and all that stuff. And we go to church and read the Bible and created in six days and, you know, and, and totally and completely different uh, concepts. And, and he's not the only one that I've run into there at the prison that basically says, I just, I had answer, I had questions and I just I didn't get, wasn't getting the answers. I had a young man just this last week come and visit with me for almost an hour uh, with the very same uh, with the very same story about questions and not getting them answered. And so that's what this study is all about, making sure that we have the, the right worldview. I passed out this. Uh, now, did everybody get a sheet of paper, one of these things to follow? This is just kind of a guide. Uh, what I have here is it says young earth, old earth, or atheistic naturalism. These are probably the three major uh, approaches to the beginnings of the universe that we here in America are co confronted with uh, <clears throat> rather than a lot of the other religions of the world. But... Uh, but the young earth is what I'm going to be presenting to you because that's what the actual biblical uh, interpretation should be. 
And that's exactly what, and what I'm going to be showing you today is that's exactly what Jesus, what his interpretation of, uh, of Scripture, the Old Testament was. Then the old earth, you'll find here in the middle, is kind of a, it's a compromise. It, it has some of the Bible and it has some of man's science in it. And uh, so, uh, so it really isn't fully and completely to the infallible, inerrant word of God, they, uh, especially Genesis uh, 1 through 11. And so, and you'll find that the other side, the atheistic naturalism then, here on the, this side here, is uh, what basically, uh, if you're an atheist, you don't believe in a creator, then, then these are the kinds of things uh, like the creation began with as a, uh, uh, an explosion, a chaos, a uh, random event, and all these on there. So my objective today is to uh, share with you the worldview of, uh, of Jesus. And so, uh, James 3.1, and I want, I want to share with you why that's so important for us to make sure we've got the right worldview. You know, there's all kinds of worldviews out there. But according to uh, the concept of, of truth, if something is true, the opposite of it can't be true. And so... Uh, if the creation account is true, then anything else that is in opposition to it can't be true. And I want you to see how that it was Jesus himself who, who uh, understood the uh, Genesis 1 account as a historical uh, record as being the truth. Now, uh, the Bible is its own worldview and it is consistent with itself as a historical progressive revelation from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. Now, I've got James 3, 1 up there. Let me read that to you. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such you shall incur a uh, stricter judgment. In other words, if you're going to be teaching the Bible, you'd better get it right. You'd better be getting it right because you're going to answer for it if you don't. <laughs> and so that, uh, in reading that, it, it really caused me to want to make sure that I, when I was studying Scripture and, uh, and, and learning the Bible, I wanted to make sure I learned it right. And then uh, Paul tells uh, Timothy, young Timothy in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 15 let me read that for you as well. It says this. Uh, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately, accurately the word of truth. And so we see then that the Bible, as I've said, is its own worldview. And uh, we see that Jesus, this, this worldview is the very true of Jesus' worldview. Jesus was a literal, historical creationist confirming the biblical record as authentic and infallible. And, of course, that means then that on the left here, the young earth creation is exactly what the Bible describes 
that God created about 6,000 years ago in six days, 24-hour days. And then, uh, then from the creation you have the creation of, of uh, or the going into the uh, Garden of Eden, the fall, and then the flood and all of those things are literal historical events. And so, but those things are brought into question all the time uh, by the old earth interpreters, and of course the, uh, the atheists don't believe that at all. So, uh, the historical validity validity of the Gospels and their authority as eyewitness accounts. The Gospels have been proven to satisfy all criterion for acceptable historical records. They are geographically sound, culturally sound, sound in language use, supported by other records from their time as authentic, have manuscripts only once removed from their original uh, originals, and they are unchanged. And we've learned a lot of this from... Uh, from um, Turek, they can be trusted to be to report accurately the claims of Jesus. Now, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. To be a Christian, we must believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, according to John one one. Uh, it says there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As the Word becomes flesh, Jesus in the beginning was with God and was God. Now, if we believe that, then to be consistent with what we say we believe, we must accept Jesus as our final authority in all areas of life, especially our worldview and especially in our interpretation of Scripture. And so Genesis, though, is so important because Genesis is the foundation of the biblical worldview of Jesus. So now, let's look at Jesus and uh, Genesis 1 and how he relates to Genesis chapter 1. It says in in Genesis chapter 1, one, in the beginning, God. Well, then you go to John chapter 1, and you say there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, of course, verse 15, 14 says that, and uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him as the glorious God. And then in Colossians chapter 1, Verse uh, 15 through 17, we have something said there about, by Paul, that's very important for us to understand. It says, uh, And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, what Paul is actually saying here is is that actually Jesus is the source, the energy source that holds this whole thing together. And you know, in quantum mechanics... 
one of the things that they began to discover when they were starting to uh, split atoms and and uh, and having particles, uh, beginning to observe how particles of the atoms uh, react, <clears throat> they came to one under one conclusion is, is and that conclusion was there has to be other uh, uh, dim- dimensions besides the four dimensions that we have or the three dimensions of time, space, and matter uh, in the universe. Well, all that does is confirm what John uh, Genesis 1 says. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God. What does that tell us? That God was preexistent to time, space, and matter and that he is the creator of time, space, and matter. And so... But God had to exist somewhere before he created time, space, and matter. And so obviously, obviously there has to be other dimensions besides time, space, and matter where, where God and his infinite being exists. And so what that really tells us is, is that God in his existence as a spiritual being is the ultimate reality and that the what we experience here in the physical realm is only expression of what is really real. And the most real being that exists is God himself. And, and Jesus, of course, is the expression of God that, uh, as God's son, a part of the, uh, the Godhead. And Hebrews 1, 1 through 12, uh, 2 says... God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So, as the creator then, Jesus is the historical eyewitness to the creation. And so if he's an eyewitness to how God created and and the process that God went through there in Genesis chapter 1 in those six days, then he's the ultimate authority for us to really understand uh, how that all came about. And so what he said about creation and what he did to show his authority as creator tells us much about how we should teach Genesis 1. And so that's really the crux of uh, what I'm wanting to present to you today. Now, what is it that Jesus had to say about Genesis chapter 1? If you go to uh, the genealogy in, of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, verse 37 through 38. Now, remember I said that the Bible teaches that God created in six days, 24-hour days. If you go to chapter 5, you have a chronology of time from the time of Adam all the way to the time of Noah, which is 1,556 years. Well, uh, if the earth is, or if the creation is 6,000 years old, uh, then that all is historical, that's a historical count. And what we see that Luke has uh, actually given to us here. In Luke chapter 3, verse 37 through 39, in Matthew, Matthew starts with 
the uh, genealogy of Jesus from Abraham all the way through to Jesus. But uh, Luke takes it opposite. He takes it from Jesus and Joseph and on back, and he goes all the way back to Seth and Adam in, uh, in verses 37 through 39 of the chronology, which that is telling us is that the chronology from the time of Adam all the way through to Noah and then from Noah to Abraham and all the way to Jesus is a historical chronological uh, uh, event or a period of time. Let's put it that way. And so, so the, the uh, Psalm 90 verse 4, the Psalm 90 is uh, Moses' psalm. And this is where you get the idea that a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And the old earth, those that interpret the scriptures uh, to be the day being a long period of time, use that passage of scripture as one of their uh, evidences. But what they fail to realize is that the, the reason why Moses is speaking of that, and then P- Peter actually then quotes it in First, Second Peter 3, 8, a day is a thousand years uh, to God, uh, and a thousand years is a day. Uh, the context in which they are sharing that, you've got to remember that Moses is actually the compiler of Genesis. He's the one that compiled the chronology from, uh, from uh, Adam all the way through to, uh, to his time. And his understanding by that time that the earth, because he's saying the, that the day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, that it's not been a long period of time. It's only been 2,500 years from his time back to the creation. And Peter is actually making the same point because when you read that passage of Scripture, he says there that God is not uh, short in uh, or long in, in bringing about his purposes but he is working rapidly to make it fun. When he says that a thousand years is a, a, to God is like a, a, a day, he's actually saying, because at his time it was only about 4,000 years, he's saying according to God it's only been about four days since he created, you see. Um, so when you read the scriptures, the scripture never refers to millions of years, never uh, it, it billions of angels and all those kinds of things and millions, but not never when it comes to the history of the earth, never refers to millions of years. Now, Jesus then speaks of how that Moses is actually his authority. That Genesis, of course, Moses begins with uh, Genesis chapter one, and so. Uh, in John chapter 5, we see that Jesus says this about Moses. John 5, uh, 45 through 47, notice. And do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Meaning... Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God, Jesus is saying here, he was talking about me. But if you do not believe his writings, uh, how will you believe my words? So, 
Jesus is actually using or stating Moses to be his authority uh, to, uh, that has already expressed who he is before he, before he came. So Moses begins with Genesis 1, confirms Moses as God's and Jesus' worldview, the foundation of his authority. And then we see over here in, uh, in Luke, we see in the last chapter there, uh, verse uh, 44, he said, Now I said to them, there are my, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so uh, Luke makes it clear that Jesus actually said that when you start with Genesis... And you go through the prophets and you go through the Psalms, all of the Old Testament. It's all talking about me. That's what he's saying here. I'm the fulfillment of it all. So, Jesus, what did he have to say about, about it all? In literal terms, literal historical terms. He speaks of... Uh, Adam and Eve, remember when they came to Jesus and asked him about divorce and how, why it was that Moses allowed to have a divorce? And what did Jesus say? Well, it wasn't that way from the beginning. Because in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and he said the two shall become one flesh. When he refers to that, he's referring to that as a historical event. He's not referring to that as some kind of mythological story. And when they were in the... Uh, the field there and some of the disciples on the Sabbath day were getting something to eat from the grains of, uh, of wheat and they were uh, chewing Jesus out for his disciples uh, working on, on the Sabbath and Jesus claimed to be what? The Lord of the Sabbath. He's talking about there back to Genesis chapter 2 when the Sabbath is established as being the one who established the Sabbath in the first place. And then the continuation of time. Jesus says here in Mark chapter 13, verse 19, For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never shall. He's talking about that that is a historical period of time from the very creation week all the way up until his time uh, while he was here on earth. So he's, he's, he's saying that is a historical, chronological process. Now, what Jesus did to show his creatorhood. In John chapter 10, uh, Jesus uh, makes the point that uh, he's saying here, well, let me read it to you. John uh, 10, 37, 38. If I not, do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works or the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Now, the works. What do the works tell us about Jesus uh, why did Jesus do the miracles? 
Well, we have three levels of law, and the first level of law is natural law. And Jesus does the miracles to show that he is sovereign or the one who produced the natural laws in order for the creation to exist. And those natural laws are laws that he created for the creation, but he's sovereign and has the ability to, uh, to overcome them if, if that's what he wants to do in order to make a point. Uh, <clears throat> you have the ceremonial laws and the civil laws in the, uh, in the Old Testament where you talked about the uh, temple and, and the sacrifices and all the things there and the different kinds of things, how that Israel was supposed to do things in a way that made them uh, distinguished from the rest of the, of the nations. And then the third level of law is the moral law. Uh, and, of course, uh, Jesus living a perfect life without sin shows himself to actually be the uh, fulfiller of the the moral law and telling us that's where morality comes from uh, in our creation. Why 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 do we have morality if if we don't have a creator who gives us that morality? There's no there's no explanation for it. So Jesus, he says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. And, of course, the Alpha being Genesis 1, the Omega, the end, Re- Revelation twenty two twenty, In the beginning, God, it says, created. And then Revelation twenty two twenty, the last verse of Scripture, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And in Revelation twenty two thirty three is actually where he quotes, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So, Jesus then is Lord of created law, and that's natural law. He's the fulfiller of the prophetic law, of the meanings of, of the sacrifices and all of those things. They were pointing to him and as the, as the Messiah, what he was going to accomplish. And then he himself is the, uh, the moral morality uh, that that the whole creation has been infused with. There is right and wrong because we have a moral creator is the point. So, so we see that Jesus shows us lordship over uh, time, space, and matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That tells us in the beginning, God created. The beginning would be time. In the beginning, God created the heavens. That would be space. And then matter would be, the earth would be matter. And, uh, of course, at that point in time, it's not the earth that has been formed, but it is the particles and the elements to be used to build upon, to bring together in order to finally then uh, make all of the matter. Because the second verse tells us that 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 uh, that the earth was with was without form and void before he began to bring them all into the elements that now form the different uh, forms of matter. Like the first thing was water. Now, <clears throat> I bring up John chapter six verse twenty one to show how that Jesus shows himself to be Lord over time, space, and matter. If you go to that verse of Scripture, you find that it's after Jesus has fed the 5,000, the uh, 
disciples are in the boat and it's stormy and all that kind of a thing. And they're in the middle of the lake of uh, Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is uh, seven miles wide. And they, on the basis of what John tells us there, that they were right in the very middle of the lake. And it tells us that Jesus comes walking along and and the, the disciples are all scared to death. And I would be too. I guess all of us would. And he comes and he gets in the boat. And when he gets in the boat, all of a sudden, the storm stops. And uh, the boat then, there's a word there. Immediately, the boat is at the side of the lake where they were headed. They didn't have to uh, row to get to the other side, which was another three and a half miles. They were there immediately. So what does that tell us? When Jesus gets in the boat, what is the boat? The boat is matter. The, uh, the, the bodies of the, the disciples is all matter. And uh, it says that the boat was immediately moved from the middle of the lake to the side of the lake, which is time. And three and a half miles, that's space between the two. So Jesus getting in the boat, having the ability then to cause the boat to move to the other side shows that he is sovereign over time, space, and matter. That's what that miracle tells us. And, uh, and it's really interesting. If you want to go to Psalm 107, 23 through 30, I'm not going to read that. But it actually talks about that happening there in the psalm. Uh, and then John 20, verse 19 it, uh, we're still talking about time, space, and matter, lordship. We see there that uh, they're in the upper room and, and the disciples and, and the door is locked and here's Jesus all of a sudden appears in the, uh, appears in the, uh, the room. Of course, he's in his, uh, his resurrected body, but it's a physical body. It's a physical body. He wants to eat. You know, he's, he's look at my hands and my feet. It's the body that was crucified. Well, how in the world was he able to do that? Did he unform and deform? No. And reform? No. Remember we said there's other dimensions? Well, if he's Lord over those dimensions, he has the capacity to move from one dimension into another dimension and then move up into another dimension that causes him to be in the uh, middle of the uh, room without having to go through the door. That's what that's telling us there. So we also see that his lordship over light and dark, day and night. Uh, in Luke 23, 44, we're told that it was dark for three hours while Jesus was on the cross. We also remember that in the time of Joshua, the sun stood, stood still. Well, that uh, event is actually spoken of by Roman Theolo- uh, Roman, not, not theologian, Roman historians, Thallus and Flagion, both of those men write in their, uh, in their writings, questioning how did it happen that on, a, on the time of the full moon that there was a, an eclipse? Why did it get dark? It didn't just get dark there in Jerusalem. It got dark on that whole side of the earth. And you got historians talking about it when it got dark on the earth and they couldn't understand why it got dark. Lordship over the forces of nature. 
we see that Jesus walked on water, overcoming gravity and, and calms the wind and the storm, which means he has the ability to uh, cause the, the water, I mean the air to, to, to either be hot or cold or to equalize. Uh, Matthew, and in Mark 11, 14 to 21, Matthew 21, 18 and 19, we see the withered fig tree and the garden reenacted. Now, remember this, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the, uh, the week before he goes to the cross. And he comes to this fig tree and it doesn't have any figs on it. Well, it isn't even time for the figs. So, <laughs> so Jesus curses the tree anyway. And so then when they come back that evening, it's, it's withered, it's gone. And so you, you would think, well, wow, gee, Jesus, why did the, the, the tree wasn't even supposed to have figs. What's going on here? Well, if you understand the way it was before the flood, the way it was before the flood with a, a canopy covering over the earth, we'll talk about that later, that... Uh, there weren't any seasons. The seasons didn't start until after the flood in Genesis chapter 9. And the growing season was the same all year round. And uh, so actually when Jesus, he shows, if Jesus, if God has the ability to, to plant a seed like he did on this, in Genesis chapter 2 with Adam, with uh, Adam in the garden, and he's showing Adam how it works, and so he plants a seed, but he causes the seed to come up immediately. That's what he'd have to do if that all happened in a day. But that same God has the ability to speak to that tree and tell it to wither because he's the one that made it grow up. And why in the world did they do away with the seasons? Because God had to judge the earth with the flood that took away the canopy that caused the seasons to start. And so Jesus is showing his frustration with his own creation that wasn't what he intended it to be. To have be bring, producing life year round. And if you go to Amos chapter 9, you'll find that during the time of the millennial reign of Christ, it's going to be that way again. In Amos chapter 9. So, lordship over elements. Uh, and uh, we see here that uh, the story of the, the bread and the fish, okay? How that he, five loaves and, uh, what is it, three fish? But it's interesting because... The story of Elijah tells us in 1 Kings chapter 17, 8 through 6. Remember that? How he went and stayed with the widow woman and her son. And they had oil and they had a flour for a whole year of time uh, without it ever running out. Well, we see here uh, Jesus not only having the power to cause the flour not to run out and, and the oil, but to go ahead and, and just con- Re- recreate the process over and over and again to feed 5,000 people. Really showing there that Jesus is the God of Elijah who made that possible. 
And then if you go to Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 20, 42 through 44, you find there where a man brings some food to the school of the prophets. There's about 100 prophets there, but there's not enough food. So Elisha says, okay, uh, there's not enough uh, food, but uh, all right, um, just start serving, just start serving. And uh, there'll be enough. So they started serving. And it's interesting because they they fed what little food they had to that hundred pro, uh, uh, school of the prophets. And it says there, and there was some left over. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting because that's the very same thing that you read about the uh, feeding of the 5,000. And that's the same thing you read about the feeding of the 4,000. There was always some left over. And then, of course, water to wine. What is wine? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, the first day you have the creation of water. The second day you have the creation of the atmosphere uh, in order for... The, uh, for life to have something to breathe, but then you have to have, you have the earth that has all the elements in there, uh, the nutrients and things for when the plants were created, that the nutrients would be in the ground in order for the plants to be able to thrive. And so then he creates the plants, which includes uh, <clears throat> grapevines, and <clears throat> and so. Uh, so you have the grapevine, and then you have the grape, and then you crush the grapes, and out of the grapes comes, comes the wine. Well, what is Jesus doing there by, show, by, by turning the water into wine? He's showing that he's sovereign over the whole process. He created the whole process. In Genesis 1, through uh, the first day through the third day, Lord over death, lordship over death, Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead after he'd been buried, after he'd been dead for four days and buried, uh, Jairus' daughter. And then the widow's son in Nain. You know, Jesus raising that widow's son is a reminder of the fact that Elijah and Elisha did the same thing and that he is greater than Elijah and Elisha. Lordship over disease. He, he healed the leopard. He healed the woman with the issue of blood. He, issued, he healed the blind person. Uh, let, let's stop there just for a minute. Blind person. That's interesting because he had the ability just to speak the word and the person could be healed. But this time he, has to, he bends down, he spits on the ground, makes mud, and puts it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him to go and wash in the in the uh, pool of Siloam. And uh, so he does, and he gets his sight back. Why did Jesus go through that whole process? Well, because that's a reflection of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God created man, his physical body, out of the dust of the ground. That's why Jesus is using the, the, the dirt and the ground to show that he created the eyes out of dust and his, uh, well, not his saliva, but water. But that's, that's what he's doing. He's reacting, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, showing him his lordship over that. Uh, the withered hand, he created the hand to, to work, not to be withered, 
fever, uh, his mother-in-law. And uh, so then, this makes a very important point. Jesus healing the sick and lame does not fit the evolution worldview based on survival of the fittest. You know, evolution is really about death and dying and surviving. Now, there are those who try to claim to be Bible teachers that say that God created, but he used evolution. Well, I'm not so sure I want to go to heaven uh, uh, that, a, that a God of, uh, uh, that used evolution to create with. What is Jesus showing here? He's showing himself that he's going to do away with all of that so there's not going to be any more of this in the new heaven and new earth when we put our faith and trust in him. He's going to do away with all of it. And uh, he didn't use evolution to create with. All right, lordship over the animals. Uh, the catch of fish. Remember at the beginning of his ministry, the disciples, Peter, James, John, uh, Andrew, uh, fishing, cast on the other side, and they fill up the boat. And then he does it again uh, there in uh, Capernaum, there on the lake, and they do the same thing again. Uh, another catch of fish. Now, we also have this situation with the fish and the coin. Remember that the uh, tax collector comes to Peter and says, uh, do you and your uh, master pay your taxes? Yeah, we pay our taxes. We go, master, we've got to pay our tax here. We don't have any money. And, uh, and so Jesus says, well, go to the lake, cast his... Uh, uh, Cast into the lake there and catch, bring the fish out. The first fish that gets on your hook and uh, there'll be a coin there and give that to them. And it'll be enough for you and me both. Well, Jonah. <laughs> Jesus refers to Jonah more than once as a historical event. But he also shows himself to be the Lord of the story of Jonah through this because what happened? That fish in the Sea of Galilee had to go to the bottom of the sea. That's one of the deepest lakes in the world. And you have these fishermen that fish, and they used to have storms there, and they'd have sh- shipwrecks, and, and there'd be coins that were lost in, in those uh, ships being wrecked by the storms. And so there's coins on the bottom of, this, of the lake. And so Jesus has to... Sh- tell that fish to go down and pick up the right coin, the one that's going to cover both of their taxes, pick that coin up, go to the side of the, the lake and wait for Peter to get there to, to bring him out of the lake. And he does that. Is that not the very same thing that God did with he prepared a fish and he told the fish, go and swallow this guy that's, <laughs> and then carry him over here and, and then cough him up. He's showing himself to be the Lord of the story of Jonah. Lordship over demons. He cast out demons. The demons said, we know who you are. They, they all, they're spiritual beings. 
They know who he was before he, he became, took on human form. They could see the spiritual side of Jesus. There's other indicators. Uh, the word immediately in Mark. We see that, uh, that that word is used. It's, it's really a theme in Mark's, in Mark's uh, gospel. And the reason I believe why Mark, of course, Peter uh, is the one that he's quoting there, uh, uses the word immediately. Why? Well, because if God created in six days, 24-hour days, everything that you see around here, what happened? Most of it had to happen immediately. Really, the only thing that didn't happen immediately was what? The creation of Adam out of the dust of the ground. He spoke everything else into existence, but he actually formed Adam from the dust of the ground in his image and likeness. And then what did he do? He took the woman out of Adam. And so, folks, uh, we're a special creation as human beings. We're not like all the rest of the creation. So, the miracles, instant maturity, all these kinds of things all show that, that Jesus is sovereign over all these things. So, Jesus spoke of Genesis 1 through 7 in Mark 13, 19, from the beginning, Genesis 1. Uh, in uh, Matthew 19:5 is Genesis 2 the two become one flesh in John 8:44 Satan is a liar from the beginning that was uh, quoted from Genesis chapter 3 these are all uh, quotes of literal events literal historic events Matthew 23:35 righteous blood of Abel Genesis 4 Matthew 24:38 days from the flood Genesis 5 Matthew 24, 38 through 39, flood took them all away, Genesis 6 through 7. All were spoken in historical context. So, I'm a little creationist because that was what Jesus, was Jesus' worldview. Jesus, the creator in the flesh, is my final authority. Paul, John, Peter, James, and Jude, all writers of the the New Testament, were all literal creationists as well. And so, here's the point. Just believe God's Word. And I want to tell you something. Thank God that you're in a church where they're willing to teach the truth here and stand by it. Because I feel sorry for anyone that has to come to the end of their life and believe that they've been living a lie. 